On Balance with Leland Vetter, I'm Elizabeth Vargas. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday night. Tonight, red alert. Attacks by Iran's militias shut down one of the world's busiest shipping lanes. Why Mr. Biden lectures Israel when Iran's aggressions go unanswered. Civil War, the new film that mirrors America's reality. We're moving to D.C. today. We need to go down there. Can divisions be healed before this fiction becomes fact? And fighting mad. A courageous stand when his city failed him. All right, we start with breaking news right now. 2 a.m. on the Gaza border uh, and the fighting, the intense ground fighting continues right now inside the Gaza Strip. With that, we welcome you to the Ferris show on television. First tonight, speed. And anybody in the hostage rescue business will tell you this. Speed kills. And it did today. Three Israeli hostages inside Gaza who'd been there now for 70 days. They were this close to rescue. And they were shot by IDF soldiers who mistook them for Hamas fighters. This was bound to happen. And it's understandable that it did happen, as tragic as it is. Hamas fighters wear civilian clothing for just this reason because it makes Israelis pause before they shoot them, and it makes them easier to hide, to blend into the civilian population. It's why the rules of war that we hear about so much these days, the rules of war require fighters to wear uniforms. But there is something much bigger at play here. We said to you that speed kills. The Israelis are being forced to speed up their offensive inside the Gaza Strip. They're trying to get more done quicker because of the ever-increasing American political pressure to get this war over quickly. Now, why is that? It's because of domestic political pressure here in the United States. It doesn't have anything to do with the, the tactical military reality on the ground in Israel. It has to do with President Biden getting a lot of heat from Democrats. So he dispatched his national security advisor to Israel to deliver a message. So the issue really is, when does Israel shift from the high-intensity military operations that are underway today to a different phase of this conflict, one that's more precise, more targeted? Israel, on the other hand, says the war to wipe out Hamas inside Gaza, they say it could take months. But let's be honest here. President Biden doesn't really care about the intensity of the war in Gaza. He just wants to have his staff stop protesting outside the White House. We showed you this last night. This is White House staff who've all covered their faces saying, President Biden, your staff demands a ceasefire. Israel's victory over Hamas from a purely military standpoint is guaranteed. It's going to happen. We now have the map up behind you, so we're going to show you what's happening on the ground in Gaza. So Israel is going to win here. There's no question about that. And certainly what they've been able to accomplish in the past couple of months has been pretty extraordinary. What's not guaranteed is Israel's victory in the PR war. 
All week long, we've been showing you videos of close quarter combat. This is IDF soldiers in these kinds of areas moving house to house, hunting down Hamas terrorists. This is the video uh, you could see where they went back and forth uh, with a Hamas gunman. That's a Hamas gunman, obviously not wearing a uniform. Literally, death is around every corner. Israel, for example, took nine casualties in eastern Gaza City, and that's what we're talking about right now. We've sort of shifted the map so you could see, but if you look over here, uh, that's the Gaza Strip. We've zoomed in. This is Israel. The Mediterranean would be up there. Here's Gaza City. This is closer to the Israeli border. Uh, just to give you an idea of what the Israeli forces were dealing with, okay, this is where some of the tunnel system is. The Gaza Metro extends down into here. December 13th, nine IDF soldiers killed just in and around this neighborhood. So that means that Israeli soldiers realize that at every moment, there is lurking more and more danger. Their comrades just got killed by people wearing civilian clothes. So this is the latest hurdle for Israel in winning the PR war. This is where the three hostages were killed today. Generally speaking, the harsher Israel's tactics the shorter the war goes, right? If they wanted to, and we'll just come back to the map here for one second. If you wanted to carpet bomb this whole area and wipe Gaza off the map, this war would be over in a couple of weeks at most. It would have already been over a long time ago. The more Israel protects civilian lives, the more they go street by street, house by house, clearing each one and looking for people in civilian clothing and waiting to see if they're fired at before firing first, It becomes more and more difficult for Israel. The more careful they are, the more they protect civilian lives, the longer the war actual goes. Of course, that makes it even harder for them to win the public relations war. Rick Berman is here, founder of RBB Strategies. Good to see you. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, You've been working on this. I know you just now uh, have the website that you brought in, HamasTerror.com, to show what the Israelis uh, are facing here. This would be my question. You've represented in your past some unpopular uh, folks before, uh, big companies against unions uh, for how you made uh, your money in the beginning. Have you ever had a harder client to represent than Israel? No. No, and the problem is is that Israel is probably spending more time worrying about what people think about them rather than prosecuting this war. You know, they've got a 46-minute tape that shows all the horrors that... Hamas filmed while they were executing them. And they won't show that to anyone except journalists and some politicians. If they would release that, I mean, we, we have released 60 seconds. If you go to uh, HamasTerror.com, there's a 60-second video that I put together. Think of 46 minutes. In 46 minutes, you would turn public opinion totally against Hamas. People have no idea as to what actually went on. They, you know, they have a superficial understanding. If you, t- if you took what Hamas did in, in Israel, in, 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 you know, when they came across Gaza, uh, came across the Gaza Strip, uh, and you just translated those numbers of hostages and deaths to the U.S. population, it would be the equivalent of kidnapping 8,000 people overnight and killing 40,000 Americans in one day. So this is this is video. This is the helmet cam video from that we've seen from Hamas, uh, obviously. And then there, there's the video that you've talked about inside the kibbutzes and, and what Hamas did. And then there's the 46 minute video uh, that they have been showing. 
Chris Cuomo went and saw that video yesterday. Yeah. And he's gotten a lot of praise, I think deservedly so, for how he described it. Nine minutes of television, he sat and talked about what he saw and the effects it had on him last night. Take a listen. This was not death from above. It was death in your face, hands-on, and personal. They enjoyed mutilating and went back and celebrated in the streets with heads and bloody corpses as trophies. This was absolute genocide. I've got a theory, because that video, to have a hard war correspondent like Chris have that kind of emotional response, has to be pretty powerful. The theory is this. Israel knew this was coming. Israel knew, knows it's going to be a long war. They're talking about another few months. And they are holding portions of that video so that as public opinion begins to turn, which we, we see it is, and we see the pressure mounting from the White House, they, they start releasing it and rolling it out. You're a PR guy. Doesn't that make sense? No. Okay. You know, you've certainly heard the expression uh, that first impressions are most important. And dripping these things out over time is exactly the opposite of where they should be. There should be some shock and awe here. 46 minutes is probably too long to ask people to watch, but you could curate that down to 15 minutes, and you would not have a public relations problem from Israel's standpoint. You wouldn't have one from Joe Biden's standpoint. Everybody would be on board, including the Arab countries. Those people are going to be just as offended as anybody else at some of the horrific stuff that went on out there. Well, and and look... uh to be fair, a lot of the Arab countries have kind of stepped back from this, especially the Gulfies. They want nothing to do with Hamas either. They're more than happy to let Hamas, uh, deal, deal, more than happy to let Israel deal with Hamas and sort of hopefully they get the, both the problems of dealing with it. And then uh, all of a sudden the Gulfies don't have to deal with the Muslim Brotherhood anymore. How, though, is this playing out in the American media? You've started a website, HamasTerror.com, to show people. And that's because you feel as though the American media hasn't done a good enough job. And there's reasons to think that, right? You've got October 12th, the media reports a dire situation in Gaza, fuel and electricity is being out. A uh, video released days later showing the Palestinians holding a watch party to view the killings of Israelis. November 7th, there, there's no fuel in the hospitals. November 11th, uh, there were fighters inside the hospital. Uh, November 16th, they said no evidence of tunnels beneath the hospital. Turns out there were, and, and yet still, what is this now? Two months later, they have said over and over again, the power's about to run out, the fuel's about to run out, and Hamas is still uploading videos. Why, why is the American media continuing over and over again to carry Hamas's water? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, it's a, it's a combination of bias and stupidity. Uh, it's just like these college kids. Uh, now, this, is Hamas, this is Hamas video that came out in the past couple of days. Clearly, they've got power and they've got internet. Yeah. And, and, and quite frankly, uh, the, kids, the kids on the college campuses are echoing the same problems that everybody is, uh, is, is in the most dire conditions possible. And yet when you see the videos, you see it's otherwise. And you have to ask these kids, what are you talking about? This is really not the kind of problems that, that, we're, ta- that, we're, that we're talking about normally. But you've got over 100 people inside of a tunnel. Uh, we don't know what kind of food they're getting. We don't know whether or not they're getting water. I mean, they're in horrific conditions. They're, they're, they are probably the ones who are the most sympathetic players in this whole picture, as opposed to some of the people up top who were demonstrating and who are happy to know that on, uh, on the 7th that they were 
uh, Israelis being killed and beheaded. Yeah, and we're already hearing now because of the the deaths of the three hostages. We're already hearing now. Oh well, now now we must stop, as if leaving the hostages inside um, Gaza would be better than the the effects of maybe trying to rescue some of them. Uh, Rick, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. We appreciate Leland, it. Great to see you. Yeah, and obviously the, it's not just the Israelis uh, who are under attack right now and having to deal with this already. Uh, Amer- attacks against Americans in the Middle East are increasing in frequency. We're going to go back to the wall and put up uh, the maps now. 98 attacks so far on U.S. forces uh, since October uh, 17th uh, that you can see over here. We said they're increasing uh, in frequency. And you can see the sense of where it's happening. The most Al-Assad air base is just outside Baghdad, 23 uh, attacks. Uh, and then some of the U.S. bases inside Syria uh, as well, double digits there. Uh, Erbil up in the north as well. All of these, and especially down in this area, uh, are very close to where the Iranian-backed militias have so many of their bases. The latest, the afternoon of December 14th, multiple one-way drone attacks. So these are the, the militias that send drones made in Iran towards U.S. bases. The last one uh, came right outside Al-Assad Air Base. No casualties yet of American troops and no meaningful response from the United States. And that's important because it just continues to embolden the Iranians. So you've got Iranian-backed militias here. We've got Israel down over here so you understand where we are um, on the map. But now we're going to switch to the other place that the Iranians are able to have an enormous effect, not just on U.S. bases, but on all of us back here at home. And that's attacks in the Red Sea, if we switch maps here. These are all attacks by Iranian-backed militias, not on U.S. warships because they've done that, but also on commercial ships, and not just commercial ships that are heading to Israel, commercial ships heading all over the place. The Houthi rebels control all of Yemen. The area here in what they call the Straits of Grief, the Gates of Grief, is only about 15 miles wide. So 10% of the world's shipping goes through here. I should say it used to go through here now because the largest shipping operators have said they're done. Right up here is the Suez Canal and also the port of a lot of Israel. That has gotten completely shut down. Nobody, no insurance company will insure any of this freight, any of this oil, any of these goods going north to Israel. Now, anybody going to Israel has got to go all the way around the bottom of Africa, the Horn of Africa. That costs way more. It drives up the prices of goods in Israel. This is exactly what the Iranians want to do. We have some video of what's happening. So remember, the Houthis control all of Yemen. This was a Norwegian ship uh, that was attacked. So far, no ships have been sunk, but the Houthis are using anti-ship missiles. This is not them getting lucky with a drone. This is serious weaponry that's been provided by Iran. U.S. Central Command has now said that this was a missile launched by the Houthis. So we'll show you where it was. This came out just out of here, down in uh, to the Gulf of Aden. None of this happens without Iran agreeing to it. And then we all have to remember this video. And this shows you the ability of the Houthis. You can see the flag there on the back of the helicopter. They landed a helicopter on a ship uh, there in the Gulf of uh, Aden and took it over. Uh, It gives you a sense of their sophistication and what they're doing. They took a number of crew members hostage, and they are still operating the ship and holding in this hostage. Now I want to show you what's happening in the Red Sea and why this is so important. It's only a matter of time before the Houthis either hit an American military ship and cause American casualties, kill Americans, or they sink one of these cargo vessels. 23,000 ships pass through right here through the gates of grief uh, every year. Six million barrels of oil pass through there every day. 
Think about the price of gas. Think about 10% of the world's commerce. Remember the supply chain problem that we all had and we all dealt with during COVID? Uh, if this gets shut down, we go back to all of those supply chain problems. This is one of the U.S. missile cruisers uh, that is in the USS Kearney that is in the Gulf right now, the Gulf of Aden, uh, waiting for the order. What is the order that will come? The order is from President Biden to actually attack the Houthis and knock out their anti-ship missiles that ring right here, both the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea shoreline. The U.S. military could take these out in a matter of hours. They're not. It's continuing the U.S. policy of not going after the Iranian militias, whether they attack U.S. bases a hundred times or whether they threaten international commerce. So the Houthis will just continue to ratchet up the pressure uh, until something happens and things become more combustible. It's going to happen. The Pentagon has said that they are thinking about an international maritime task force to protect some of these ships going through here, going through and up to the Suez Canal. We're waiting for that announcement probably next week. The question is, will that task force has teeth to take out the Houthis? You can read all about it every day in War Notes. That's our daily newsletter. Gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Go to warnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together. And you get to be a part of that discussion. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vitter on Instagram or Twitter. That's warnotes.com and subscribe for free. Coming up next, the new film that hit way too close to home for a lot of Americans. It should. It paints the country as, well, in chaos and looks strikingly similar to some of the problems we're seeing in America today. Next, good guys with guns. How California's lax crime laws have pushed more people to own the very guns California politicians want to ban. The Civil War in America killed more Americans, more of us, than any other. 600,000 slaughtered, slaughtered by each other, by fellow Americans here in America, all over a clash about culture and economics. We're feeling that same divide once again in America, the cultural divide and the economic divide, and Hollywood decided to let us know what another civil war would look like. Citizens of America, the so-called Western forces of Texas and California have suffered a very great defeat at the hands of the United States military. Forget the irony of Hollywood putting Texas and California on the same team. The film's images appear awfully close to January 6th and the 2020 BLM riots. It forces anyone to stop and think about really where our country's headed and about how leaders from both parties, because both leader parties, both leaders from both parties were talking about the events you see on your screen. They are both far more interested in pushing the U.S. to those extremes than bringing us together. Victor Davis Hanson is with us, senior fellow at the Hoover Institute and author of the book, The End of Everything, How Wars Descend into Annihilation. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what do you... Let's zoom out, and we, we saw a little bit of the trailer. I'd encourage everybody to go watch the whole thing uh, after, the, after the show, of course. But 
I think about watching an alien movie, you can kind of watch and laugh and think it's kind of interesting or fun, but it's so absurd, it's not going to happen, so you can kind of involve yourself in the story. And then I watched this trailer, and it made me oddly uncomfortable because it was just seemed a little too possible. Yeah, I think it's not just that we're ideologically opposed. We've been that way for three centuries, but... There's a couple of new developments. We're having a sort of a pre-Civil War geographical force multiplier. We have this red-blue state now, and people are leaving in droves to red states. And the blue state paradigm in the big cities is not working. But we're, we're becoming geographically defined as well as ideologically. So a person in Texas or Alabama or Wyoming uh, is not just, I guess, more conservative, but they feel that their state is more conducive to their style, their culture, everything about it. And that was true of the Civil War when you had North-South. The other thing, I think, is the left has substituted class as their former barometer of oppression or victimization, and they've substituted race because it's immutable. You can be LeBron James or you can be Oprah Winfrey and you can be a victim. And so we are retribalizing in this country where a person's first allegiance is to the, his superficial appearance, which used to be incidental, not essential to who we are. But we're all branding ourselves uh, as in a geographical sense and in a racial or tribal sense. And, and all of these work to pull apart the unification of the central, and the center's not holding, and it's getting worse and worse. I, I, there's a lot to unpack there, all of which was extraordinarily insightful. I think about a couple things that you said. One is the geographic divide, the urban-rural divide. It almost goes back to a quote I remember about Robert E. Lee speaking about the Civil War when he turned down uh, Lincoln's request to lead the, the Union yeah. Army and said, I cannot fight against Virginia, which he, he viewed his allegiance to Virginia, his state, more than to the Union, even though he was a Union general. Uh, swing, swing state polling, Georgia and Michigan voters. Michigan poll. Trump ahead 21 points among working class, non-college voters. Biden had 10 points among college-educated voters. Georgia poll, Trump ahead 14 points among working class voters. Biden, seven points among college-educated voters. In both of those states, there's obviously more working class voters than there are college-educated voters. There's a lot of other parts to to this, I know, and I think you make a great point about race. What is it, though, is the... The class divide, even in suburban America, it is that working class folks seem to identify more with a rural culture, even in what you think of like a blue state. What were blue, solidly blue union voters now identify much more with a culture like Texas or Wyoming. Yeah, I think that most people who are are confronted daily with the realities of living one more day, get paying for their gas, their food, building something, pouring cement, fixing water, whatever it is, it's real. And they have absolutes that they see in nature. But when you have the deskbound class or the bicoastal elite, whether it's tech or in academia, I think people get divorced and from reality. And we've had this globalization that really enriched the coast because they had unique gifts that could have a global market. I mean, tech and law and media, whereas the muscular classes really have lost wages because their their labor or their products could be Xeroxed abroad. So I, I think a lot of people in the university live in a la-la land, to tell you the truth. And we saw that with the testimony of these three 
esteemed presidents. Yeah. They were just completely out of touch. And I think most people who were electricians or plumbers, if you ask them, do you think in your little company people should be saying every day that they want to wipe out the Jews in Israel? They'd probably say, no, I wouldn't let them say that. It's it's too dangerous. It'd lead to something. So there's a common sense, and I think it really is drawing in the question the value of four-year education because they're not inductive yeah. empirical sinners. They're deductive, and they're, in, they're indoctrinating people in and a very pernicious dogma that's really tearing us apart. The control room is going to kill I me. Say that as, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm enjoying this conversation too much. I want to give, give you the, the last 30 seconds we have. But if, if you had to have the Civil War to erase the original sin of slavery, and we had to go through that to, to, to solve this problem and to bring America together to, to fix the divide, if you will, the, the, culture, the cultural and economic war, if we have that same or starting down that same cultural and economic path that you laid out, is there anything other than either a civil war or a World War II-like event uh, that brings us back together rather than divides us more? Yeah, well, the odd thing is the, the country never really was united until the First World War, and that was when people in the North and South were in numbers in the military against a common enemy. And you've been talking about Iran in a fascinating fashion, but... Whether you're in a blue state or red state, the ideology of theo- theocratic Iran is based on destroying Israel and the United States. And we shouldn't laugh at it because they're on the threshold of being a nuclear bomb. And so things like that bring us together, a common enemy or yeah. an economic depression sometimes. But uh, we are a very affluent and leisure society. And throughout history, the big great bane of civilization, unfortunately, is not poverty where people can really tighten their belts and work together. It's leisure, affluence, and uh, a disconnect with reality. And we're, good, we're disconnected from reality, whether it's fuel or food or shelter, the prime things that we should be worrying yeah, about. No, it's, it's, look, it's where, that, that's how the great empires have fallen. It's, these, it's it times like this. And we've, you know, post-World War II, uh, America has experienced something that's really never been experienced in history, certainly in modern history, in yeah. terms of safety and economic growth. Victor Davis Hanson, it's great to see you, sir. Thank you. We've enjoyed it. Thank um, you. You're welcome back anytime, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Another thing that obviously has been on people's minds, another thing that has led people to feel so unsafe and angry is the level of crime, the rampant crime, thieves racing into stores, grabbing whatever they want and racing out, leaving employees quite literally helpless to do anything about it. But one California Bay Area store employee has had enough. So when it happened to him, well, the suspects found out he wasn't like, well, any other storekeeper. in the video is a bunch of other employees ran to the back of the store. Albert Marku, an employee at the store since 2007, grabbed a gun and took aim at the would-be thieves that were carrying sledgehammers. Albert is with us now. Did you realize this was a possibility? Were you carrying a gun? What What were you thinking? Uh, to tell you that, I mean, the truth around us happened Retail theft almost every day. Stores get smashed in, shopping malls, 
you know, the attack. Um, and I had a premonition sooner or later, you know, I'll be the next. And I started carrying a gun in the store for protection. Wow. Yeah, I mean, sledgehammer, sledgehammer can kill you pretty quick if you don't if you don't have something to fight back. What's interesting is you watch the the expressions and the body language of these thieves who are so brave and so uh, acting with impunity because they know that police and certainly in California won't do much uh, anymore. They run in, they're they're all ready to go smash everything up, and as soon as they face any kind of pushback, they're running the other direction. Do you think they were surprised when you? When you pulled out a gun? I think they were surprised because uh, didn't happen anywhere uh, around me. And, uh, you know, they run out right yeah. away. You know, Vic- but, Victor, you know, I, I just want to ask you, I, I'm guessing from your accent, um, and I may be wrong, but that you're not yeah. from you're not from America originally. We're glad no, you're here, and I'm, obviously, I'm an immigrant from uh, communist Romania, long time ago. I, I, I feel up. like I feel like I feel like this is something that would happen in Eastern Europe, right? And what do you what do you exactly. what's it feel like that it's happening in America? Uh, it's going to look almost the same. You know, when I grew up in uh, in Romania, you know the the. the People start fighting with each other. There's no religion. You cannot go to church. Uh, anyway, uh, was was terrible. You know, and I escaped Romania when I was 19. I went to Germany, where I went to school. Then I became an architect. Actually, I'm an architect, but my love is designing jewelry. Well, Albert, we're and, glad you're in America. We're glad you're okay after what happened. Uh, thanks for joining us. All right. All right. Uh, Thank you. Coming up next, the DEI industry. Victor Davis Hanson was talking about it. It's fighting back. Pro-Hamas marches exposed the social experiment for what it was. Now those who make millions from packaging racism is DEI. They have a new playbook. We'll show you it next. This is students protesting at Illinois' Mathematics and Science Academy. They're demanding to be free from biases against race, color, gender, ability, weight, political affiliation, and microaggressions. Any student or teacher who infringes on things, well, they must be suspended, expelled, and a notification sent to their future college. There you go. In January of last year, McKinsey predicted the global market for DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, would double to a $15.4 billion industry by 2026. That is not really panning out. Major companies and schools are now headed in the opposite direction and slashing DEI programs. Evidence what we saw in Congress and the fact that the University of Pennsylvania's president is without a job. DEI enthusiasts, though, are not going without a fight. For example, Governor Gavin Newsom of California previewed some of the upcoming tactics, how DEI is going to fight to survive, when discussing his spat with Ron DeSantis. He's out there talking about anti-woke, and I mean this. It's, for me, it's not anti-woke. What he really means is anti-black. 
With us now, Eric Smith, former university DEI employee, now research fellow at the Cato Institute. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Eric. Uh, is that where this is going? Is that the new playbook, which is, hey, look, uh, we'll fix the anti-Semitism thing, but if you don't like DEI for whatever reason, even if it allows pro-Hamas protesters, you're a racist? Depending on where we are. Um, that's a common refrain uh, in academia anyway. Anti-blackness is the, uh, the real double term uh, when it comes to anti-woke. Help us understand, if, and since you were at, at the beginning of this and now you're, you're on the other side, are we seeing this watershed moment that, that we think we are, and I say we by, by our show that we've been watching, that the DEI is suddenly for the first time really on the ropes? I think outside of academia, I think we're seeing a um, return to normal, quote unquote, uh, within academia and even K through 12, unfortunately, uh, it still has some life. But in other institutions, uh, I, I think people are starting to see how dangerous this is. All right. So interestingly enough, you talk about academia. On Monday, Jay Edelson, who's a, a big time plaintiff's lawyer, runs one of the biggest firms in the country, very successful. Uh, He's not he's now refusing to go to Harvard's recruitment program for lawyers uh, to recruit lawyers. He's citing flooding gays, anti-Semitism controversy, discontinuing on campus interviews, including the spring interview program. He'll be on on Monday to discuss. But you've been inside these universities. Are they so insulated that these kinds of actions, even what we saw from Bill Ackman at Harvard, um, is going to is not going to really matter? Do they do they feel that empowered? Uh, I believe they do. Uh, fortunately, I'm at a campus where this is not a big deal or not as big of a deal. But uh, in academia at large, yes. I mean, the, the strategy is to just not listen. If you are labeled a conservative, then that's it. I don't have to listen to you, right? Uh, you are the oppressor. You're the bad guy. You can never be right. We don't have to talk to you. And if people aren't talking, nothing's going to be done. Huh? Well, yeah, that's good. it's a good point in terms of once you demonize the other side, um, and look, the left nice. does it, the right does it as well. Once you, once you demonize them, you don't have to talk to them, you don't have to treat them um, as human beings. Um, Eric, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Coming up next, new warnings for federal agents as Mexican cartels take a page from Iraq and lay a string of IEDs, explosive devices across our southern border. Will we ever treat the cartels like the militaries? They are. So you just switched to Verizon 5G home internet. Maybe you won't mind waiting for everyone to log off so your network signal isn't congested. Or maybe it's time for better internet, fast, reliable internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts. Searching for last minute gifts? Shop the last minute deal sale at Virginia ABC and save 20% on select 750 milliliter bottles. That's 20% off gifts for the hard to shop for. 20% off gifts guaranteed to fit, 20% off gifts to celebrate the season, and 20% off a little gift for yourself. Shop the last minute deal sale at Virginia ABC, in stores and online December 18th through the 21st. Please sip responsibly. Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. 
We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforstatesport.org. You're feeling pretty good. You just switched to Verizon 5G Home Internet. It's Verizon. Safe choice, right? Exactly. Maybe you won't mind waiting for everyone to log off so your network signal isn't congested. Oh, I love practicing patience. Maybe when your kids can't video chat grandma, they'll start writing her letters instead. Kim Kim would love that. It'll be great. And maybe the kids won't notice when you cut down their treehouse to get a better signal. Wait, trees block the 5G signal? Yep. It's time for better internet. Fast, reliable internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts. Tonight on News Nation. Dan's all-star panel tackles the day's biggest topics. Why a 2020 presidential rematch is so unpopular with voters. Plus, should Harvard have fired its president? And the political price Republicans could pay for impeachment. Tonight on Dan Abrams Live. Then, all week long, we've looked back at the Casey Anthony trial that captured America 15 years ago. Tonight, hear from the lead investigator as he walks us through the case. Tonight on Banfield, only on News Nation. This is News Nation's audio stream. Take us wherever you go. America's fastest growing news channel is News Nation. Substance use disorder and addiction is so isolating. And so, as a black woman in recovery, hope must be loud. It grows louder when you ask for help and you're vulnerable. It is the thread that lets you know that no matter what happens, you will be okay. When we learn the power of hope, recovery is possible. Find out how at startwithhope.com. Brought to you by the National Council for Mental Wellbeing, Shatterproof, and the Ad Council. News Nation's Robert Sherman on the ground in Israel. I'm Robert Sherman coming to you live from Tel Aviv. Every hour that goes by here in Israel, the tensions on the ground heighten even more. Off in the distance, you can hear the sound of sirens blaring. We still stand out here in Tel Aviv. We've heard a few fighter jets overhead. This is part of the everyday reality in Israel. Robert Sherman, another reason more and more Americans are trusting and watching News Nation. A message from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. I came to Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous overweight and depressed. I was dieting, binging, stealing food, and lying about it for years. For help, call 781-932-6300 or visit foodaddicts.org. I knew I had a weight problem. I didn't know I was addicted to food. The FA program gave me a healthy body. I'm free from obsessing about my weight or food. Call FA 781-932-6300 or visit us on our website at foodaddicts.org. There were 11 armed suspects nearby. Agents heard gunfire coming from the Mexico side, pulled back to a safer area. The Mexican military responded. That's when they found the 10 explosive devices filled with black powder and shrapnel. All right, so yesterday, reportedly, border agents encountered a cartel gunfight. And, well, after you heard... Mexican authorities showed up. They found 10 IEDs at the border. The Taliban and Iranian militants used to use IEDs, improvised explosive devices against American soldiers, with devastating results. It's not surprising. We've been talking about treating the cartels like terrorists, like militaries, for more than a year now. Chris is here. I I was actually most surprised in the whole story by the fact that the Mexican military even showed up. Yes. Help me understand it a little bit. So do they believe that these were cartel cats that were going to fight with each other using the explosives, or did they think they were cartel guys trying to smuggle them into America? 
I don't think we know. I think that's what's so scary, right? And on top of it, uh, we know the cartels have 50 cals. They have surface-to-air missiles. They have it's sometimes better weaponry than the Mexican military does because they've stolen from the Mexican military. I guess my question, though, is at, at what point do we decide that dealing with the Mexican government on this kind of stuff isn't, isn't working, isn't worth it, worth it? You've done a lot of reporting on the fentanyl trafficking. These cartels have billion-dollar businesses to protect. Yeah, I mean, look, it's very hard to make an argument for the legitimacy of the Mexican state, right, in terms of how it influences crime within its borders. Um, In the previous administration, they did a better job. Why? Threats, uh, you know, carrot and stick. Uh, They had a very active approach to working with Mexico and a lot of other uh, home countries in Central and South America to stem the flow. But Mexico was the main one. Should that happen again? Absolutely. I am with you here when it comes to treating the cartels as terrorists, uh, terrorist organizations. Here, I worry about it because we have all of these legalities about terrorism in this country that might make it a little hard. Right. I look. Well, there's a di- there's a difference between treating them like terrorists and and declaring them terrorists. Yes. There's 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 some, but you you speaking of terrorists talked last night. I think it was the first nine minutes of your show it was incredible television. Uh, anybody who hasn't seen it, it's on War Notes. It's on your Twitter account. Uh, should go back and watch a little bit of it. Talking about I think who everyone can agree on are terrorists, and that's Hamas. Take a listen. They did it methodically. You hear it in the voices, the commands, the ease, the excitement of finding and mutilating victims, being told, let them play with it. Merely murdering innocents was the least of it. That was your response after watching the 46-minute tape that the Israelis have been showing of of unaired footage of what happened on October 7th. I was watching you after uh, the show in New York, and I was watching you deliver that monologue. I thought a couple of times I saw your eyes get watery, your voice almost break. And I'm wondering 24 hours later if that emotion is still there and other thoughts now that you've had a chance to sleep on it that you have. Um, well, you know, not it wasn't a great night, although that's not unusual in this business. But... Uh, it never goes away for me. I think it's one of the, uh, you know, one of the greatest strengths and weaknesses that I have, which is I feel all of it. It all matters to me. And it, it's never stopped. It, it's what got me into the business and it's what's kept me in the business. And in a situation like this, it's not just that I had missed because, frankly, they hadn't showed us and no one had given us the context when we were in Israel of the bodies that we were seeing uh, that had been burned uh, were uh, not r- random incidents, that this was an actual big part of the planning uh, and uh, the execution. And what, what happens is the same way that you feel as someone who understands the region so intimately, you can't do anything about it. You, I mean, you're not changing any minds. You're not, there is no critical thinking. Somehow, this incredibly nuanced situation that has been impossible to solve for generations has been put through the same the same hamburger maker as every other issue in America where people just have to pick sides and that's it and if they're on the other side 
Oh, you are. All I am is even wearing this shirt will probably be interpreted as me being an IDF shill. I don't even understand how pro-Israel or pro-Palestine fits into it. I don't even understand how you can have an existential argument about the right of either to exist or who you are or who you think you are that gives you the right to have an opinion on something like that. So that's what makes you so upset. And to the extent that it resonates and it gets anyone with an open mind to think anything independently, then it's worth it. All right. Yeah. Uh, Great work. We'll talk soon. Have a good weekend. Coming up, crime and murder rates soar in, well, the state of Washington. Well, they have a new idea of how to solve crime in Seattle. That when we come back. Seattle just hit a record with homicides, three-decade high. But rather than fix the pressing issue, Washington State wants to tackle something else. They're outlawing gas-powered leaf blowers. They'll give you jail time for using one. Representative Travis Couture joins us right now, a Republican who I'm thinking is against this. Uh, they, They weren't kidding, right? This is real. This is definitely real. Okay. And Uh, and here's my question. Is this a law they're going to enforce in Washington State? Because at least in Seattle, there's a lot of laws they have that they don't enforce. So maybe what's the difference? Well, I mean, they would seek to enforce it. Uh, They want to have a $10,000 fine and a year in jail. So they won't won't put any other uh, career criminals doing fentanyl on our streets or shooting up anybody in prisons or jail in in Seattle or in Washington State or even let cops chase anybody. But if you fire up your gas-powered lawnmower or leaf blower or chainsaw, they'll throw you in jail for a year and slap you with a $10,000 fine. All right, so leaf blowers, lawnmowers, chainsaws, log splitters, pressure washers, stump grinders, wood chippers, and snow blowers, uh, if they are gas powered. I'm thinking, like, I, I maybe I understand if you have like a little lawn inside Seattle, you know, in downtown Seattle, it's or you know, it takes you ten minutes to rake or use a leaf blower. But how, how is it with a chainsaw? How are we going to cut down all the trees and the timber companies and the the fire departments that have to get through roads where there's big Washington state trees that have fallen on. I don't get it. Well, I'm glad you asked that. You know, my district, the 35th district, is one of the biggest timber districts in all of Washington state, which means it's also the largest sequester of carbon in Washington state. Um, and, you know, chainsaws under 25 horsepower that this bill would would basically ban in the next two years. Uh, you know, we rely on those things to cut down those trees to sequester that carbon and then also have sustainable natural wood products. So it's an attack on the timber industry. And it's also an attack on people's freedom of choice. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.